Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Off the Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu with him. I hope you're all doing well. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And today's episode, um, I was absolutely blessed to get to sit down with Tanya Moody. Uh, That is Tanya of Motherland, of Star Wars, Sherlock. The list goes on, but I mean, what more do you need to know other than that? Um, Well, I'll tell you what you do need to know. You need to know about the songs that have soundtracked Tanya's creative journey. And you're in for a treat because this is such a good chat. Um... I'm not going to tell you anything about it because um, you're about to listen to it. Um, If this is your first time um, listening to Off The Beaten Track uh, podcast, then why not have a look in the archives? Because you'll also find um, a bundle of episodes uh, with some of your favourite actors, musicians, producers, DJs, comedians. Just go and have a a rummage around and you'll you'll, you'll see plenty of stuff that I'm sure you're going to want to give a listen to um also a big thank you to 76 for producing this um and much love to scroobius pip and everybody at the distraction pieces network okay back to business please enjoy it off the beaten track podcast with the wonderful tanya moody i've got an announcement save our souls clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk why am i telling you this they're our official sponsor yeah that's right go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale you're going to love it so they've decided they want to be our sponsor which is amazing and what i have to do is i have to tell you about why they're amazing so here's a little bit of blurb so they've only been going a year and they're based in south end on sea just up the road from me they put the company together based on a a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk Do a bit of shopping, see what you like, 
throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Give me Stu Whipping. Okay, we're recording and sitting opposite me today over the means of Zoom is Tanya Moody. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. So... We've never met before, and I was just saying to you before our pressed record, um, I'm going to ask you how you are once I've pressed record. So, uh, yeah. so how have you how have you been um, uh, in this bizarre world we're living in at the moment? I should point out that um, if you're listening to this and uh, and lockdown is over, we're recording this during the the hopefully the latter stages of lockdown. Um, how have you found it um, as a as, as as a human being, you know, with 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 a family, and how have you found it as a creative? Um, well, about um, two weeks into lockdown, I fell downstairs and broke my ankle. Oh, and, um, yeah, and uh, so that was obviously deeply unexpected, <laughs> and it kind of like put lockdown in a totally new spin do you know what I mean because it was like everyone else was locked down and I was like locked down as <laughs> like I was not only in the house but I just you know I haven't been able to use whatever resources I I think I would have done hypothetically um under the circumstances otherwise because I sort of planned I was at the early stages of lockdown and I think for most of us in the early stages, you sort of go, okay, I can do this. Right, I'm going to I'm gonna exercise in these days, and then I'm going to go for a walk in these days. And then you, you sort of get a plan. <laughs> yeah. Whether or not you stick to it is a whole other thing, because yeah. obviously, you know, my friend, you know, oh, I ended up spending that more time in bed, or I didn't get anything done that I wanted to, or I didn't read any books I wanted to, you know, because you're dealing with it, right, all the time. So, I, you know, I'd sort of planned to be super fit and busy and agile and stuff and working out and and that there was just this kibosh put on that and so I've had to go to really like kind of dark places psychologically and and battle these kind of internal demons while on the outside it looks like I'm just sort of sort of sitting there with my foot up in a way how long would you like that for well I'm still like that and in fact I've got to go back in this Friday for another operation on it Oh, you've done so, a proper job on it then? I've done a, I've done a job on it. And um, and my, my partner's been great. He's been like, well, at least you're not working because that'd be really embarrassing to have to turn down work because you fell down the stairs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's like timing has is, is been good. But Has he still know, got sympathy? Is he still giving you sympathy? That's quite not, a few months. He never, he never actually <laughs> did give me sympathy because I, I mashed up my ankle because I was trying to play a... a um, a prank on my daughter. It All was right, here we go. Now we're finding out now. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was April Fool's Day, and I was trying to prank, I was trying to punk my kid, and I got overexcited and, like, you know, went, oh, so the tip down the stairs. And so both of them were oh. like... So that massively well, backfired that, didn't it? Do you know what I mean? So both of them have been, I've allowed them 
who heartily take the piss out of me at any given <laughs> trying to make you know do penance and like you know be as active as I can yeah but I think they're both a bit over it now okay well let's let's talk music um hey for track one Tanya I want you to tell me the song that you think has the greatest ever intro yeah um so Papa was a Rolling Stone, right? So that actually was like a really, really hard question. Everyone always says that's the tough one. It is because the thing is, I think as well that, to be honest, there's not enough credence given to intros in general, I think. Um, I mean, I'm not a musician. I'm not a music maker. Yeah. So I'm laying myself open to all sorts of like... (laughs) criticism and backlash and like shut up you don't know what you're talking about but you know I think there's a lot of you know when I was going through all of my music and going through all my partner's music and stuff and whatever we had in the house and really going back over songs that we love or maybe even are ambivalent to but you have to give it credit for its intro it makes you realize how many songs kind of get straight to it mm-hmm. and then and intros are kind of they're brief introductions because actually the body of the song is the thing mm-hmm. do you know what I mean mm-hmm. So then you end up, you know, very quickly you end up feeling like, oh, I'm actually looking for a needle in a haystack, in a sense. You know, what makes an intro good? Is it is it its length? Or is it just, sometimes it's just like, you know, there's this, it's just like a few notes or something or a few kind of like beats of a drum or like, you know, da-da-da-da, and then the song starts. But it makes you feel something. So then yeah. you go, that's a great intro because that, there's something about that that got me, you know. It's strange what you said there because, you know, where, where it's something instant, that, that is the – I think people generally sort of lean towards that just because I think that's, that's pop music. Pop music is like grab you straight away. It's got to be straight in with the hook and, 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 and especially nowadays where, where there's so much music everywhere. Like I think a lot of people now write music with radio in mind trying to get – to hook people straight away because people are so easily distracted now. And, but then again, when you think of, you know, Papa was a Rolling Stone being a great example of that, you know, or Pink Floyd or anything like that. You know, these, these were not written with radio in mind, you know, they they were not trying to hook someone straight away. It was like, I mean that the the beginning of Papa was a Rolling Stone. Oh, it's epic, isn't it? It really is because it tells what I what I notice about it when I listen to it again because we we all kind of know it right. It's something that's gone into our psyche. We feel it. The second you hear the first kind of like opening beats, you know it's that song, yeah. and you know where you're going in the song, and you know that people know the story of the song. It's like it's like folklore, isn't it? It's a legend. It's mythical that this song. It's epic. So when I was like re-listening to it, it made me realize that somehow in the orchestration they they set the entire mood it's like it's like a film soundtrack and then you you know I sort of realized how many images I was seeing of what was about to happen in that song and that by the time all that tension has been built up because of the layers of the orchestration by the time he starts to sing those first few words you know it was the first the third of September that thing you, you realize actually he's already part way through the, the kind of the emotions and the telling of that story. He's already lived a lot of it and he's coming in at the peak of the tension and we're supposed to pick it up from there, you know? I don't know if, was that, were they still signed to Motan for that? Because, idea. Because that would have been around the time, because obviously like everything that Barry Gordy was doing was like them short, sharp Motan, sweet soul 
pop records and, you know, famously told Marvin Gaye that what's going on, you know, wasn't going to work. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't poppy enough. And then obviously went mm-hmm. on to be the biggest selling album. And it's the same yeah. with, with The Temptations. I mean, that track is a is a mile away from from them kind of, you know, them really early sweet soul pop records that, that, that Motown were putting out. It was a real, there's much yeah. more maturity and much more, it almost feels like they've become socially aware. And, and obviously it would have come out at a time where there was lots of change, I would have imagined, going on where they were. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's funny you should say that because I think a lot of those Motown songs have, like, do epic introductions. Mm. It's a thing, isn't it? Um, who was that? Who's their famous producer, right? That did a, that was famous for all their kind of using orchestration, lots of strings, etc. Et Phil Spector. And yeah, 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 yeah. He was like the master of the introduction, wasn't he? Really? Yeah, just a bit. River deep, mountain yeah. high. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Just all those things. Is there? I mean, my favourite intro of all time is a Phil Spector production, and it is just that dum. Dum, dum, cha, at the beginning of Be yeah. My Baby by the Ronettes. Like there that. you go. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. And I nearly chose this one. Got, got to give it up, Marvin Gaye. Oh, oh. Nearly chose that one. What a record. it's like you get, suddenly you hear this party atmosphere. Yeah. And you're there. Like, yeah. you, like, there are times when I get caught by surprise. I'll be in the kitchen or something, cooking and washing up. And it comes on and I'll think... Where is it? <laughs> and the party, and all these people are going, yeah, yeah. And the music, and you kind of just start moving in spite of yourself. So that is a, I nearly chose that one, I have to say. Okay. You're allowed an honourable <laughs> mention. That's fine. Yeah, exactly. All right. Track two, Tanya. Um, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Oh, yeah. I, I, I felt a bit um, funny choosing this one because it's not, you know, there's. I don't get any kind of like street cred for this song or, or anything. I don't so know. I, I think it's a great record. You know, but, yeah. It, so this one was um, the way it is uh, by Bruce Hornsby in the Range, and that was so it's released April 1986. So that means I was 14, and uh, I, so I was born and raised in Canada in the seventies and eighties. And, um, it, it was just my personal karma that I happened to get myself in a lot of scrapes. I happened to encounter a lot of like racist abuse amongst my peers or people I didn't know whatever at that time in the seventies and eighties. And even though I was a little girl, I get a lot, like some of it was quite physical. Like it got a bit, <laughs> it got hairy sometimes. Do you know what I mean? And, um, Obviously, I had, you know, I did have some friends and good friends and stuff, but that all those experiences really shaped my psyche a lot. And I, I, I was quite sort of um, introverted because of those experiences and quite kind of, uh, I really went, I know, I got really, went really inward. And because you're young and you don't really have a kind of an overview of the world and relationships and everything, you can sort of think, well, this is the world. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you're young, everything is kind of blinkered. So I kind of was in a place by that age where I thought, well, I'm just not, I just don't have a place in the world. And that's just the way it is. And white people just don't like black people. I'm going to have to just avoid that my whole life. Do you know what I mean? It's And, and at that age, it's more of a feeling. It's an imprint. It's not even, I don't think it's that sort of articulated in your mind. And then when I heard that song, 
I remember kind of being really like, hang on. There's a musician, someone who has power and has agency and has a voice who's being heard. And has a very famous song and has a, you know, this ability to make music and reach people. And he's saying the opposite. He's saying, I'm your ally and I, I'm with you. Do you know what I mean? Like you're singing about the civil rights era and just saying, I remember hearing the lyrics the first time, and I would just sit by the, I don't know, whatever it was I was listening to at the time, <laughs> in the 80s, the radio, <laughs> or I didn't have the record or anything, and I'd just sit and listen to it again and again, and I'd just be like, wow, I'm not alone, and I've got allies out there, and there are people like him out there, and he just sort of, it's like he threw me a lifeline. Do you know what I mean? I mean, what, what emotion would that have been, Tanya? God, it's like, I felt released. I don't know, I just felt like, I mean, I felt love, really. I felt his love. Yeah. Even though I don't, you know, obviously I don't know, I've never met him, whatever, but I think that's that's the power of art, isn't it? And that's the power of music. Yeah. You've you've chose two records already that um, the lyrics are very much a story. Mm. Both, both, um, the Temptations and that Bruce Hornsby track, they're very story-like, aren't they? The, the, the songs like... Uh, uh, the Bruce Hornsby track, we're very, very uh, similar in age, Tanya. And when, when I first heard that, that was probably one of the first records that that, 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 that I kind of... That, that woke me up to, I guess, prejudice and, and, and all sorts of things. And it, it was that and, and um, Lavi Sifri. Uh, um, oh yeah! Hearing something inside so strong, which probably was about eighty-six. Like, I love. Around. Yeah. Um. I love so, aside from what you was experiencing, you know, you, you mentioned scrapes and stuff when you was mm-hmm. when, you, when you was at when when, mm-hmm. when you was at home. Um, was there was there music on? Was you exposed to lots of music? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, I mean my. <sighs> I mean, my parents didn't have a lot of downtime, as it were, you know, and that's, you know, music is really there, really, to kind of soothe the soul in that way and for you to express yourself in that way. And my my mum was in medicine and she was always working. So, I mean, and she, yeah, I think my, if anything, you know, my dad, when I was younger and, you know, the family atmosphere was a bit more kind of um, social, it was like old school reggae that he would play. I mean, I can't even name the people that he, I don't, I don't know them and I have to go sort of like looking for them. But I remember him playing, he had a record player and he put on a record, but it's also a record, he had these big speakers and I was about the same height as a speaker by that point. I remember being in my nappy and I put my hand against the speakers because the bass would be like, boom, 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 like that. And I'd just be like ha- having the bass go through me, you know. And again, a lot of those stories, uh, those songs had stories to them as well. There was yeah. a, a reggae song he put on called Duppy Gunman, yeah. which means like a ghost gunman. Um, not that my dad was like gangster or anything. He wasn't. He was just like a really normal middle class guy in a sense. But it was, a, you know, it was a tune, you know, so he put it on and it had this face. And I used to love it because I, and I also love the notion of this ghost gunman, you know, yeah. the story bit sort of thing, you know. Okay, well. Well, let's 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 stay around that era because for track three, tell you mm-hmm. want to know the song that reminds you of your time at school. Yeah, 
So um, I'm sure we all have like, you know, when you get to school and then suddenly you're with your, a peer group and then you're being heavily influenced musically because you're hearing all sorts of things that you never heard before and people's styles and tastes or whatever. And people are starting to go to concerts, which is a big deal, you know. Um, and the first, the song that always sticks in my mind of being, you know, representative of that time of my life is The Clash, London Calling. And, you know, I am so far removed from the, the culture and the circumstances and the environment that created The Clash and created that music. Like, I am, I am an alien, you know what I mean? I'm this little Canadian kid in the 80s, what was that, that was released, what, seven, no, 79 it yeah. was released, but I only became, so in 79, I was seven, and so I wouldn't have heard it then, uh, especially because I was, like, at a French convent school, like, there's no way I would have heard The Clash, yeah. that would have That wouldn't know, have been on the curriculum, would it? <laughs> <laughs> and then it wasn't until later on, um, when I was at a, a mixed school, and, you know, there started to be dances, and um, and I wasn't really, you know, that I think for kids who were, had always been at mixed schools and they were used to boys and stuff, dancers were one thing. But for me, I wasn't really used to boys or anything. So dancers were a totally other thing. I was really into the music and I wasn't really into like, oh, look, boys or whatever. I was just there to be in my peer group and taking in the music. Do you know what I mean? And I remember hearing London Calling. And people getting up, going mad and like pogoing around the room and stuff. And I remember being like, what's happening? <laughs> like, this is, this is brilliant, you know? <laughs> and just like hearing the music again and, and he, trying to hear a story, but not quite understanding it because it's so specific, isn't it? Yeah. And the kind of where, what that song came out of, what they were singing about and the environment of London at the time and that group. So it was something I didn't, even if someone explained it to me, I wouldn't have understood it. Yeah. But the music and Joe Strummer's like voice. Ah, oh, and the fact that you didn't, it wasn't like a dance. You, you flung yourself about, yeah. you know, it was different. And that contact with the bodies and everything. And I was like, this is it. So I started, it was, wasn't long after that. I started to go explore the kind of punk scene more and start to go to gigs and start to take on the aesthetic, you know, with the kind of mohawk. Although I didn't shave my head, I would have been murdered by my parents if I did that. But I had my hair like sticking straight up, all the hairspray, the, you know, I had razor blade earrings. I had like torn every, you know, the lot. I went full aesthetic, yeah. And started going to the gigs, started going... Uh, to, into mosh pits, which then we called slam dancing. I don't know if yeah. you call that. Slam yeah. dancing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And um, Who did and you see be- back then? Can you remember? Sorry, what was that? What, what gigs did you go to? Can you remember? Oh, no, I can't remember. I mean, and as well, these were a lot of local Canadian yeah. bands. This was homegrown stuff. So did the punk scene hit um, quite hard in Canada then? I mean, I'd like to say it did, but I always say that it was really an aesthetic because we didn't have those same socioeconomic questions and issues sure. that mount up here. Do you know what I mean? It was, mm. a, it was a movement that was born out of a whole sequence of eras over here mm. and a generation that was using that to express themselves in a really particular way. 
Whereas in Canada, we just we just didn't have that. So it was more, it was always done as an homage or an aesthetic, but it always attracted a certain type of youth. You know what I mean? Like these kids were had issues. Like these kids yeah. were dispossessed in some way. And they used that music and that culture to act out their frustrations, their hurt, their damage or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And and I found a kinship with those people. You know, to to an extent, <laughs> you know, there wasn't. I can't say I'm. I'm like, oh yeah, I really love you know the punk sound. I'm really into it. But I did find a sense of belonging with that with that crowd. Yeah, in a sense. Um. So let's let's just chat school um, before we get on to the, the next track. How was it? Did you enjoy it? School. Hmm. Oh. You know, I look at my daughter, and my daughter's 12, and I go, oh, that's what enjoying school looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, that's totally different. So, you know, like, so as I said, you know, I started off in a convent, in a French-Canadian convent. And my parent, I come from an Anglophone family, and don't speak any French at home, but being in Ottawa, where I was born, this is right on the border of Ontario and Quebec, it's the capital city. So bilingualism is, is a necessity, right? And my parents recognised that and wanted my brother and I to have, you know, a good start in life. You know, if you wanted to, you know, to get employment and everything, you have to be bilingual. So they put me in this um, convent school and I remember being dumped in, <laughs> felt like dumped, in reception or kindergarten at the time with these nuns and uh, not speaking a word of French, not understanding it. And they would just talk French at me. And I say at, because at the time it was, I didn't understand what was going on. I just remember one day they were talking and it was like, it was, you know, when you come out of a swimming pool and the water drains out of your ear and you suddenly can hear again. It was like that. Suddenly I was like, oh, oh, that's what she's asking me. Oh, she wants to know if I want a cookie. Oh, okay. Yes, please. <laughs> and then, and then it was just fine. You just got on with it. You know what I mean? Um, but in that environment, I mean, you can imagine what a, Roman Catholic convent schools like it's not it's not um an easy ride is it <laughs> it's not a laugh so was <laughs> was the kind of you know was you wanting to get into acting at that point was that and if and if so was that encouraged there um it, it, in, in a way I mean I saw I think not acting I think I wanted to be a director I used to kind of um devise plays with the other girls and I used to direct them in it and I think it's mainly because I was bossy um <laughs> they were always based around some catholic thing it was always like well, now this is my easter play <laughs> you know what i mean the ascension by tenure and they were very they would tolerate you know i'd be like oh but um no it wasn't until i got into secondary school or what we call high school over there that i realized that i wanted to it's not that I realised I wanted to do it. I realised that that was actually my only real skill, <laughs> quite frankly. It was a process of elimination. Like, I just, I had, to, I recognised what I wasn't strong at and what I what I lost interest and aptitude in, which are basically academic stuff. Yeah. Now, I was stronger in the humanities, you know, languages, sociology, drama, things like that. And I was like, right, you know, let's do it. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you um, about uh, for, for track four, the first record you bought, and then I want to um, talk to you about um, 
moving to the UK and, and how mm. that was. Mm. Um, so, yeah, for, for, for question for Tanya, the first thing I remember buying from a record store. Yeah, well, this is, I asked my dad to buy it for me because, you know, I was too young. I was um, pretty certain I was 12. And, uh, yeah, so I had no pocket money to speak of yet. And I begged and begged and begged for him to go out and buy this album. Um, and it's uh, in a big country by big country. And it was released 83. So I was 11. And so by the time I got a hold of it, it was about a year later. Yeah. I'm pretty certain. And you remember that time. It was like, this was the era of MTV as well. Mm. That was a big shift. I mean, I, don't, I, could, couldn't exp- I can't explain this to my daughter. Now, visuals are just the, the norm, yeah? So Beyonce releases Lemonade. It's the norm that the whole thing is a visual album. The whole thing is a video. It's a massive story. Back then... And it's it was there whenever you want it. You can watch it yeah. whenever. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I want to... Oh, can I see that song? Like, you know, instead of like, oh, I want to hear that song. Like, let's see it, you know? But back then, videos were like completely... You know, do you remember that um, Herbie Hancock video? Was that... Um, dun, dun, Rocket. Dun, dun. Uh, yeah, exactly. And with all the... You, you know, we're like Peter Gabriel... Um, Sledgehammer. Exactly. There's yeah. these massive videos. And, you know, I can't even remember the name of the song because it's the videos, of the course. visual, the things that you held on to. Yeah. And so Big Country is one of those. It wasn't a particularly impressive video. I think they were just standing on a hill, like, playing... Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe one of them was wearing a kilt. Definitely. Well, there would have been there definitely would have been a kilt in there somewhere. You know what I mean? But I think it was the fact I mean, I liked they had an alternative sound. I mean, I think if you were to kind of like um put them in a box, I don't think you would really call them punk necessarily. Well, Stuart Adamson come out of he was before that he was in the skids. And so okay. he, he'd kind of found his formative years in a in a kind of punk band, and then I think yeah. kind of sort of moved on and developed that sound, and, and definitely embraced the Scottish culture. Um, you know? And with uh, with big country, I'd say it was definitely more rock than punk. You know, or sort of like alternative, yeah. bordering pop because it had so much airplay. Right, mm. so there was a real popularity to it, and it could, it sort of managed to get through to loads of different people who wouldn't necessarily like kind of out there mm. genre. Um, but, and, and the fact that they used, that they had this bagpipe sound, like, I don't know if it was a synth or an actual bagpipe, but I was, I'd never heard that before. That's for sure. Yeah. And um, he kind of, he kind of part wailed the song in a very punk way, but also he actually had very beautiful vocals mm. as well. He had a really, beautiful sound yeah. you know and they had a black band member i'm like what the fuck right yeah this is great. sorry i'm swearing is that that's bad? all right no 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 not <laughs> at all like out no it's fine <laughs> yeah. but you know they had this guy who was a black uh band member um tony butler wasn't it that's right yeah and um so i was like these guys are allies too period like i love them i love them and i love that sound and, you know, my name, Moody, like, yeah, I'm black and Canadian. My parents are from Jamaica, but Moody is actually a Scottish name. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like and my dad always told me, like, he's my dad. No. My mum's grandmother apparently was Scottish. But right. she didn't know her. Like, my mum was too young to really kind of know her. But she, so I remember her being there. I remember her having really long hair. Apparently she was blind. I remember her having a, I remember brushing her hair and that was it. 
So I'm, I always have this thing of like, oh, I've got Scott, like, there's Scots in me somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Somewhere. Yeah. So I think they brought out this kind of romanticism in me. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. That's so, that's so crazy, Tanya, that like, you know, at that point, you know, and it probably still exists in, in so many parts of the world still that, you know, it, it, it you, you felt a connection because there was a black guy in the band. That's, that's, that's it's, 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 it's crazy. And it's, it's, it's tragic. And it's, it's, it's weird that that, that would be the thing that would really pull you in as well, isn't it? It's, it's just a, a crazy thing that 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 exists like yeah back in the day i mean i don't know if my daughter would be so, like that so much anymore yeah because it's changed so much in a sense mm. i mean my daughter feels a, a kind of natural sense of belonging in the world of course she's becoming more socially aware now you know she's 12 going on 13 and yeah you know she's aware of everything that's been happening recently in the news and you know george floyd and black lives matter and everything and she's becoming much more active and activist in her attitude yeah but she didn't she wasn't saddled with what we were saddled with as a generation. And I say we, cause it's you too. You were part of that generation. Yeah. You know, these eighties in your country and mine. Do you know what I mean? It's totally. And, and it's, it's, it's what you've just said is, is spot on. And, and I, I, my, my daughter, my youngest daughter was 15. Um, mm. and, and she, she just doesn't, doesn't see color. Just doesn't see it. And like, and it's just like, no, it's just people. And like, mm. and which is, which is wonderful to to, to 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 have that, and she she wanted to protest, so we was like, okay, we'll 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 take you a protest. I want I want you to have a voice. I want you to feel that you can express yourself, and 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 yeah, and it is. It's just when I think when I was sort of you know thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, I wasn't I wasn't socially aware to the point where I would go and protest or have have that kind of voice. So I think it's brilliant that that, that, that young people can voice it now and do see it mm. it's mm. you know that's that's encouraging yeah 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 do you know yeah, what yeah. i'm saying yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> the discussion that my daughter wants to get in now and i've got to catch myself as well sounding old or you know <laughs> not with you know but do you not find that when you try and be down with your kids that's when you sound the oldest uh, yeah, or like when you try to punk them on April Fool's Day and end up falling down the stairs like a numbskull. <laughs> I don't think there's any better example of it than that. <laughs> you know I, mean? I have a really good friend of mine who's my age, another actor, and I told him the story and he was like, oh, you muppet. And then he sent me a picture text some weeks later. In pl- his leg was in plaster because he was trying to demonstrate to his daughter how to skip properly. Brilliant. <laughs> And he ended up like breaking his Achilles or something like tearing his Achilles. <laughs> I was like, see, you see how that can happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So, if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. 
Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. See you on the other side. So at what age did you, did you come to the UK? Uh, I left Canada when I just turned 18 uh, and I came over to study at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art and um, I knew I'd never been to London before in my life. Um, I'd been out of Canada, you know, I travelled before that, but I'd never been to the UK. Did you know and people here? I didn't know anybody here. Wow. Nobody, you know, I, I was just handed over to the care of the college which and they were very good you know they had very good pastoral support and I felt supported I met made friends the first day you know got flatmates got on with my life really which is great but it was a massive culture shock but I think I adapted I did adapt very quickly because I think when you have the focus of doing the work like doing a course if you you know I clung on to that absolutely so you then cut all the kind of cultural adaptation comes along with the learning in a sense but what I missed out on, obviously, is I don't have the same cultural references that my colleagues have from having been born and raised here, you know, when they were younger. So I've had to learn those, but not any kind of instinctive attachment to any of them. Do you know what I mean? And being Canadian, because we're part of the Commonwealth, you know, after three years, if you're under 26 and you're part of the Commonwealth, I think this still holds, then you can stay. You get a two-year work visa automatically. And you can stay. And at that time, at the end of two years, if you're working, you get your work to apply for an extension to the visa, and da, 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 which is what I did because I was with the Royal Shakespeare Company. And then I met my daughter's dad and then we got married and then we all, the, you know what I mean? And then, and then you look back and like 30 years later, you're like, oh, God, I'm still here. That's so weird, you know. Uh, and now I'm British. I've got dual because after several years of being the spouse of someone and you apply and, blah, 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 you know, there's all these different hoops you jump. Yeah over the over the course but now i'm so i've got british and canadian citizenship because you can have both again having the same queen that's the thing that's the whole sure. deal um but i spent less time in canada than i spent i you know i left at 18 and i've been here 30 years now right so well let's so, let's go back to um being 18 for track five 
Um, the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. Oh, well, I mean, I chose this when I was thinking, oh, everyone's probably chosen this, everyone this age. You're, you're the first to choose this. Really? But, I mean, it was, it was up there for me, Tanya. I mean, come on, this was just absolutely ubiquitous to the club scene. This is back to life, soul to soul. I mean, it was just being played all the time. Yeah. And it was beautiful. I mean, that's not a complaint. <laughs> you know what I mean? The second it comes, like, even now, it's not aged. Even to, I was talking to my partner about it when I was choosing these songs and going through the list with him. And we were both like, it's still as powerful. The second it comes on, you're just up. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Totally. It's never aged. But we both were saying the rest of the album didn't isn't as strong in that way. It hasn't it hasn't stayed. I think there's one other track. Keep on moving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the one. And the rest of them, but I think Keep on Moving and this one are sim- very similar. Which well, both Karen Spanish. Wheeler, isn't it? Like that's probably it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And her voice, right? Wow. <sighs> Unbelievable. Wow, wow. I mean, they were everything to me. And being, again, being Canadian, you know, being, being Canadian in the world is like, it's kind of like being the geeky kid, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, we are the world's geek. I, I admit that. We're always slightly, we're a bit of the wallflower culturally, a little bit. I get that. You know, I get how we can be perceived like that. However, of course, when you go to all the Canadian musicians, music makers and actors and artists out there in the world, when you realise they're Canadian, you go, oh my God, Canadians are really cool. But um, <laughs> I really, I get how we're seen as being slightly on the outside. And, you know, as that Canadian kid in the club, you know, looking at Soul to Soul as a collective, I was like, these are the coolest people on the planet. Yeah. Holy shit. They're just amazing. Yeah. That, that beat... That that is you know it's, it's very similar to the beat on both Keep on Moving and Back to Life, like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. beat you couldn't you couldn't move for that like wherever mm-hmm. you went it was just it felt like there was a summer where every car that drove past you yeah. that was booming yeah. out the windows yeah, that absolutely. beat do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely, <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. So uh, I like to ask guests what they wanted from clubbing what i wanted from clubbing i just wanted to dance i wanted i wanted um agency i wanted like you know like that social agency that up until then in your youth you don't really get because you're still under the thumb of your parents now i was not i'm not saying i was a good girl I wasn't like, you know, home by nine every night and stuff. I got up to some, <laughs> some stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> like the times when I just didn't come home. And back in the day, in the 80s and stuff, that's, it was like that. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine my daughter that kind of reign now yeah. in this world. I would just go out for like days. You'd end up sleeping in other people's houses, finding meals, like just wherever. I remember walking back. So in, in Ottawa, so we're on the border of Quebec, right? And in Quebec their licensing laws are different. So you can buy booze, you could go clubbing at a younger age. Um, so, which basically just meant that we could get into clubs because we looked like the age we were supposed to be. <laughs> we <But> <laughs> weren't actually the right age, but you could get away with it. Yeah. See what I mean? And we lived close enough to the border where you could kind of, somehow we'd get there. I think we'd maybe share a cab. And then by like the time we were turned out, there are times that I would walk home. I would walk home from Quebec back to Ottawa, back to my home. And it would be like a 40 minute walk or something, 45 minute walk. 
I'd be barefoot. It'd be like early hours of the morning and I was never afraid. I was never worried. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. just, that was what it was like yeah. back in the day. So that's what I wanted from clubbing. That's what I got from clubbing. That complete, like, I'm in control now of how I express myself, how I entertain myself, who I associate with. And I was never like a, um, nowadays, I think, I'm sounding like an old person now. Nowadays, the young'uns, that's not what I mean. I mean, like, there's a club culture at one point became almost like um, together with drug culture. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was like a sort of like, I take this drug in order to enjoy the clubbing. Or the, mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? They were together. I think that dropped about two years after Soul to Soul, that. Yeah. Whereas I was never part of that group. I had to be like sober and stuff to really enjoy. I, I was there to dance. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Not that I never did drugs or anything, but that was a separate activity. Yeah. Yeah. There was, was, there was definitely, you know, to, uh, the, uh, the late eighties, you know, the, 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 you know, ecstasy changed dance music, you know, undeniably, you know, and you had acid house and then obviously, you know, house music exploded and, and yeah, like it's very well documented, isn't it? The ecstasy did completely yeah. change the, you know, the, the landscape of, of, of club culture. Uh, uh, it did. Hmm. It did. That's why I don't really, I'm not really that into the music that came along with that because I think a lot of the enjoyment of that and all the creation of that music came out of the drugs. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And because yeah. I, I was like, I, it was almost like hearing a foreign language to me. I'd go, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I can see how you guys are enjoying dancing at that, but I would enjoy that. I mean, I do like some drum and bass, but to me there has to be an, an element of lyricism to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And as you can tell by my choices, I like um, songs that tell stories as well. Sure. So if you're going to drop any drum and bass in me or whatever, it can't just be like all rhythm or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's something in it. Yeah. Okay. Track six. A favourite song from an artist from your home county. Okay. Now, home county, obviously in Canada, we don't have counties. So I like chose... I interpreted that from my home country. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you won't be the first. That's fine. <laughs> and, um, but also, he is from, if we did have counties, he is actually from there, mm -hmm. right? So this is a guy named Daniel Lenoir. He's French-Canadian. Um, and can you, put, can you say that again, please? Because I've always just gone Daniel Lenoir. And like, so how's, how's it pronounced? That's, that's, I've never heard okay. it pronounced like that. So his first name would be Daniel. Uh-huh. And then his last name is pronounced Lanois. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Daniel Lanois. And um, so he's from, actually he's from Hull. So my <laughs> city is like, oh, so it's different from Hull here, right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so my city is Hull. It's like, so I guess it'd be pronounced um, Hoon, <laughs> in a sense. So the Ottawa Hull region, region is one kind of region. And, um, and Hull is where we used to go clubbing. That was right. the, the, the place where we used to go clubbing. And um, he is a really prolific producer. Um, so he's produced like, you know, like, um, U2, Peter Gabriel. I mean, he's, he, as far as I know, he lives in New Orleans now. I think Eno brought him in to 
to produce oh, yeah. Unforgettable Fire um, uh, for, for you two. I'm pretty sure I, that was the first time I'd heard of of him, and I'm not going to try yeah. and pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas in, in Canada, we kind of, I mean, I think in a sense, I have to, you know, Hand and Heart, that's probably when he dropped Acadie, his first album as a, as a kind of singer-songwriter, that was pretty much the first I'd heard of him as well. Like he might have been popular in Quebec, on the Quebec side before that, but on the Ontario side, it, that album was like, made a big splash in Canada. And it's from, when you listen to it, it's very atmospheric. It's really like kind of, I mean, I played, I ordered a copy of that album because of this, because of, you know, you inviting me to do this. And it made me realize, like, oh God, I don't have that album anymore. And I'd love to hear it again. So I found one on eBay and listened to it again. Did it still and hold up? It. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the sound isn't great, I have to say. You know, um, so that's in terms of playing it on the uh, turntable. It's not fantastic. It, it's a it's a certain kind of thing. But obviously, I have attachment to it, right? So I have all the memories. I remember all the lyrics and everything. You know, my partner was kind of like, well, he doesn't like this kind of music anyway. He's a bit kind of like, you know, he likes kind of harder <laughs> stuff. So... But he was like, oh, it's creepy. Ooh, it's really atmospheric. Gee. Yeah, so there's a song on it, um, my favorite song from it, which is called Jolie Louise, which means beautiful Louise. And it's a, it's a, a full story, right? It's like a once upon a time story. And uh, it's this guy who's singing about how he meets this woman, and it starts off with her um, him meeting her. He's like, oh, hello, beautiful. How are you? My name is... Uh, Jean-Guy Thibault Leroux and um, I come from the east of Gatineau and uh, I live over there in La Fontaine and I'd really like you to come and live with me and then he said then she apparently she does and then he he says well I got a job um, uh, working at a mill and uh, so he's a real working class guy you know he's he's kind of like it's very kind of Bruce Springsteen-y sort of environment you know what I mean it's always about these working class guys, you know, but in this case, they're, they're French, you know, and, and things don't go very well. He works at the mill, but he's got an alcohol problem and his drinking causes him to lose his job and his drinking causes him to lose his relationship. And then the final kick in the tea is that she takes the kids and she moves to not any other town. She moves to Toronto. And for anyone in Canada, they know that that is like, the biggest kick in the bollocks that she didn't just move to like another city in Quebec, you know, like, so she didn't go to Montreal or Quebec city. She moved to fricking Toronto, like, you know, the epicenter of English speaking. Canada, you know what I mean? So she really does not want to hear from you again. <laughs> so it's really like, he's lost everything in this song. He's lost everything. His kids, his wife, whatever. And, but it's done to this kind of really sweet folky sort of, um lyrical way you know it's almost like a sort of um i don't want to say like a kid song or something but it's it's quite beautiful in a way it's yeah. very light there's a bit of accordion you know there's guitar and everything and he sings it and, and you sort of you hear him singing these different stages of his grief we do put um a spotify playlist out alongside this so everybody be able to listen to all your song choices so they'll be able to check this this, this tune out as well exciting. i'd be curious to know what people Think of it; it's so specific. Yeah. Um, but there's me, only a live version available on um, that's Spotify. The mm. You see, I really wanted. If you want, so this is to the listeners of this podcast. If you want to hear the original studio version that's on the album, which I think is the sweetest, you've got to go into YouTube, and it'll show the album cover Acadie, 
and it will and it will play the original um, studio recording, which I think is very beautiful. The live version is fine, but if you yeah. haven't heard the studio one, then you don't know what it's sure. been modified. Okay, final track, oh. Tanya. You can be DJ now, and you can uh, you can turn someone onto something new. So for track seven, a song that many may not know that you want them to hear. Okay, so th- again, this is some. Um, this might be a bit hard for people to get a hold of, right? This is. Kanye West's Ultralight Beam. Now, had you heard it before I no. put it on this? Have you heard it yet? No. My God, it is... <sighs> I don't know how to describe it. It is just... Now, I know people have all sorts of opinions about Kanye West. I've been opinion about Kanye West, too. I've cancelled and uncancelled Kanye West more times than you can freaking imagine, because... I happen to be one of those people that that thinks I really believe that he has a genius. I really, really do. Musically, I, undeniably. Yeah, I think, and I that's thank you for saying that, Stu, because I have had arguments with friends who say that he's not a genius, but they're not recognizing the fact that you don't like the genre. If you don't like the genre, then you can't say that he's not a genius. Do you sure. know what I mean? I'm not saying you have to like the genre. I'm just saying you need to recognize the fact that he's a genius, whether you like the genre or not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Some people are just really great at what they do. Mm-hmm. And I totally that. If you're like, yes, but I'm not into Kanye West or I'm not into that type of music, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's but like, don't, I'm not. Don't into- judge his music on the fact that he can be a bit of a dick. Do you know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> it's like, we, you know. We have to get beyond, and there, there's there's lots of musicians who say really dodgy things, and I and I still find myself listening to the songs going, oh yeah, but that's really good. <laughs> that's a really that's that's interesting because this comes up no. loads. This comes up yeah. loads. This 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 whole thing of being able to separate music from the art. Sorry, the person from the art. Yeah, you know, and and can you can you do that? And I mean, fundamentally, on this it, this podcast, it comes up so many times with Michael Jackson. Oh God, yeah, I can imagine. So many people's Michael Jackson was so important in their life and intros, whatever, you know, Michael Jackson wrote some of the most incredible music ever, but can you listen to it now? And can you distance the accusations from the art? It's a, it's a weird one. And and, I mean, that's a far more extreme uh, example than Kanye. Kanye just says some dick things, but, but you know, but he's, he's, he's still, you know, a, musically i think a complete maverick i i think so too i mean it's the same with morrissey as well i get the thing i get it less with michael jackson and more with morrissey in a sense do you know what i mean because morrissey i I still am a massive smiths fan love them it's written all over my chest and it's like and it's one of them oh there you go you see (laughs) it's a weird one it's a weird one you know that's that's the other one that comes up all the time you know the Smiths, and it's, it's like, hard. and it's like. Well, thankfully, Johnny Mars, the coolest girl on the planet, so it's fine. Hello, this is the <laughs> thing. This is the thing. Johnny Mars saves that, and also, <laughs> I like to tell myself that when they were the Smiths, maybe Morrissey hadn't. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. maybe he would 
not really yeah. developing whatever views because you know we're young or whatever and I think that I just love the Smith so much how and, can someone and, be like that how can someone be the voice <laughs> that everyone needed that got them through their teenage years that was yeah. what that was the nerdy awkward one that I spoke know. your language how can he go from that yeah. to saying this it makes no sense yeah. Yes, and the thing is as well, like, and I really like, you know, when I bought a few of his uh, solo albums when he came, you know, you know, it's like Morrissey and everything, and I really liked them, and then, and then he started, you know, opening his mouth, and and so now I'm kind of like, hmm, I get torn, I, I do get I, get, I I don't get torn about the Smiths, I get torn about Morrissey because I still have his, and, and you know, when they come on, I catch my catch myself going, yeah, and then I go, oh no 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 no, don't do that, yeah. Oh. But anyway, um, yeah, Ultralight Beam, Kanye. <sighs> Did you manage to get this on the playlist? Did you manage to? I was putting the playlist together just before we done this. So I, the last yeah. one I got to was was listening to um, Lanoir. Is it Lanoir? Yeah, Daniel Lanoir. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Um, because as far as I know, you can only get it on Tidal and not not like anywhere else. I don't know if I don't know if Spotify. I don't know. I knew it was it was a bit difficult to get to, and it was this album um, that it's from. Um, let's see, what's it called again? Life of Pablo, which I think again, I think it's a it's a brilliant album, very experimental. I think some of the lyrics after Ultralight Beam get a little bit trite. You know, like, you know, when it's all about kind of fucking models and blah, blah, and you sort of go, oh. But somehow the the orchestration around the, the song, the tracks are great, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I'll be like, put it on if I go jogging or something. Well, I could jog if I had a good ankle. I would like put it on and I'd be like, oh, I love the beat, but I'd have to sift through the lyrics sometimes. Sometimes yeah. I would be like, that's not particularly interesting. And then some, and then suddenly here's a song with the lyrics are like that is so yeah. great, you know. And Ultralight Beam is just a beautiful. He's a very religious guy, right? He's very Christian. And um, I mean, I, I'm a Buddhist. I've been a Buddhist now for like 26 years or something. So I understand this notion of faith, you know, having like profound faith. So when when Kanye sings via his faith, you know, like when he when he the Jesus walks that track and things like that. I really get it. And I think in those tracks, he really, really shines because he's got such a profound sense of faith. Mm. Even though our faiths are different, I, I feel how he completely inhabits the art form because something else comes out of him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that song, Ultra, like, all I can say, guys, please listen to it. It's just, it'll make you stop in your tracks. I love it. <laughs> so when... When this lockdown subsides some more, and uh, and the uh, I love to use the term new new normality resumes, um, mm. what's coming up? What are you up to? Well, you know, there's been chat about things starting to film and stuff in September. So, I mean, I, I do this show called Motherland on BBC, and we had a, a kind of script meeting some weeks ago, and and we were asking the writers. I said, when when are we going to go back? And they'd said back then, well, the hope is September, but of course, you, you know, you don't know what how that's going to work for the industry. It's it's not a given. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so there, there is going to be more of that show. That's that's good news. Oh yeah, oh Wonderful. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, 
And there are other things, you know, there's um, two or three other series that I was doing that I was meant to go back to do, but of course everything got put on hold. So we don't know. It's just kind of a, now it's a game of like, okay, is that going to go back? And sure. When sort of thing. Is that sort of, I mean, I, I have a production company now with a, with a colleague and we, we kind of get ideas out there to produce. And so we have two projects now that are like in the early stages of development. So that's what I've been focusing on most yeah. in long. All of my Zoom calls have mainly been about that, you know, trying to push these projects down the line. Yeah. Hope. Them, you know get them into full production but when it comes to making tv and stuff things can die at any stage you know yeah you constantly be pushing and pushing them forward yeah so we'll see well thank you so much for doing this tanya i really appreciate your time today and uh and, and had a blast chatting tunes and yeah. yeah and i look forward to seeing whatever uh whatever comes from you um yeah. after lockdown Thanks, Steve. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks loads, mate. Uh, there you go. Told you he was going to love that. Absolutely great chat. Um, Tanya was just a brilliant guest. Um, really interesting. You know, I, I think when people's stories have that moment where they, they, you know, they, they completely switch location, just adds a completely different twist to a, you know, your, your formative years and, and, and stuff like that. So it's really good to sort of, you know, find out about those, you know, th th those early years in, in Canada to then, you know, 18 at such a young age to just come to the UK, you know, totally on your own is, uh, yeah, it's uh, a brave move. And, and I guess it, you know, it just pushes just so many experiences from that situation that, you know, it was nice to, to touch on a few. Um, like I said at the beginning, if you enjoyed this episode, please go and have a, a rummage in the archives and, and see uh, what other guests um, you fancy having to listen to. Um, and if you really enjoy it and want to support the podcast uh, more, then there's also a Patreon page where I put a standalone episode up each week. You can find out all about that at offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. All right, thanks once more to Tanya and thanks loads to you lot for listening. And I'll be back next week. See you soon. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's... Interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes, so if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Make stew with him. Eat a book.